0: Um, with a special thank you to many members of the choir, many members of this congregation. It has been uh, a weekend of celebrations, and Reformation showed up uh, for that in a big way. We had a revival here on Friday night, Holy Smoke, in preparation, which was a wonderful event. Thank you for those who showed up for that. And then, of course, the installation of reverend patricia davenport as the bishop of the southeastern pennsylvania synod on saturday and reformation was well represented amongst the worship leadership i know it has been a long weekend and i just want to begin by saying uh your pastor is so proud of you uh and so grateful i i love you all and just um am humbled to be able to serve this church Uh, And it's really interesting, right? And feeling this great sense of pride yesterday as I see so many familiar faces leading the congregation at worship. And then I'm thinking about Mark chapter 9 and the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. And so I got to be careful that I don't let my ego get away from me as great as it is to be the pastor of this church and to serve you all. Uh, And so I want to talk with us this morning about Mark chapter 9 and about the topic of hiding behind our egos. Please pray with me. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable to you, O Lord. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. So when I was a kid, my mother used to take me shopping with her. And sometimes she would buy me things, and that would be all right. But sometimes, more often than not, she would take me to department stores. Do you remember those? Remember those? They, they, they were in malls. Do you remember malls, right? Things that we don't see a lot of anymore. But my mom would take me to Sears or JCPenney or Macy's or Boscov's or Steinbeck's. Remember Steinbeck's? And she would have me just kind of cart along with her. And we'd look at blouses and pantsuits and heels. And it was really boring. And when we'd go to these department stores, my mother would always say the same thing to me. She would say, Nathaniel, and that's how I knew she was serious because she used my full name. Nathaniel, stay where I can see you. This was always her advice, always her command, stay where I can see you as I'm shopping. But the thing is, right, when you're a kid, the last place you want to find yourself is in the women's fashion section at Sears. As a kid, you'd much rather be carted along to the bank, because at least you might get a lollipop at the end of that. You'd rather be dragged to the grocery store, because maybe you can weasel a treat out of this. But Sears, department stores, there's just nothing there for kids. And so here's what I would do when I was dragged along with my mother to the women's fashion section. I would climb into the clothing racks. When you're a kid, they're the perfect height. You don't even have to duck down. You can just part the blouses to the side and walk right in, close the blouses behind you, and then you have the perfect clothing rack for it. The perfect place to hide, the perfect place to bide your time while your mom's looking at all the other stuff. I would do this every time we went to the department store. But you know what would happen next? Eventually... My mom would finish her shopping, and then I'd hear, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, where are you? And so I'd have to climb out from my clothing rack fort, and then she'd say to me, I thought I told you to stay where I can see you. Nearly every time we went to the department store, this is how it would play out. My mother would tell me, stay where I can see you, and I would do something completely counter to these instructions. My mother would tell me, stay where I can see you, but instead, I'd build a fort where it was impossible for me to be seen. As I think back on this behavior now, I can't help but laugh at this universal truth that my actions were displaying. You see, I wasn't listening to my mother's commands. I was just doing what I thought I wanted to do. My actions were all about me, me, me. I'm sure we all have stories like this. And not just stories from our youth, I would venture to guess. We all have moments in our lives where we were told to do something, and we ignored those instructions and just did whatever we felt like instead. But here's also what I find interesting about my trips to Sears as a child. My mother would tell me, stay where I can see you, and then I'd just do what I felt like doing. But what's really interesting is that what I felt like doing was hiding. Nine times out of ten, Whenever someone demands to have it their way, whenever someone insists that they should do it exactly the way they want rather than doing what they've been told, they are hiding. There's some sort of insecurity pushed down deep within us, and it's causing us to pout or to whine or to insist on doing things our way. I don't know. Do we know anyone in Washington who might fit this description? When things don't go the way that he wants it, he hops on Twitter and pouts and whines about it and tells us the way that it should be. It's not just number 45 either. There's all sorts of politicians in Washington who insist on having it their way. We can't have immigrants and refugees in our country, they say, because they're scared, because they're hiding. Or think about, maybe at work, you have those higher-ups in your office who never want to listen to someone else's ideas. They don't want to try anything new because this is always the way we've done it. And yet, couldn't we say those higher-ups are scared and they're hiding? Or when an abusive partner or spouse refuses to let you exercise your own freedoms and instead demands that your life be dictated and controlled, they are the ones who are hiding behind this control. And when the cops abuse their power and wrongfully arrest other people, they are the ones who are hiding behind their power. In our gospel passage today, we see the same type of behavior from the disciples. We get to see the ways that the disciples allow their egos and their own sense of self-importance To get in the way of actually doing what Jesus wants. Let's open our Bibles, if we can, to Mark chapter 9. It's on page 39 in the New Testament. Um, If you're using the Pew Bibles, if you brought your own Bible, of course. Bonus points as always. Pull it up on your phone if you want. That's easy too. Uh, We're going to start at verse 33. Mark 9, verse 33. And just to set the scene a bit for you. Jesus is out walking around doing that whole itinerant ministry thing that he's always apt to do, and apparently he overhears his disciples arguing about something along the way. And so we read in verse 33 here's what happens. Then they came to Capernaum. And when Jesus was in the house, he called the disciples and he said, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had argued with one another, who was the greatest? I wish I could have been there during this conversation between the disciples. Can you imagine it, right? You've got James who's saying, I'm the greatest because I was there when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop. And then Peter is like, yeah, well, I was the first one to recognize that he was the Messiah. And then John is like, guys, guys, I'm literally called the disciple who Jesus loved. And meanwhile, you've got Judas who's just like, who wants to change the subject? Come on, let's move along. It must have been quite the scene. And it's a really important scene in the scriptures because it's one of the first times when we get to see some real human behavior from the disciples. The disciples are not some sort of dream team that never made mistakes. No, 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 no. Disciples are just like you and me. This passage shows us that the disciples were willing to put each other down in order to make themselves feel better. They were willing to insult and argue and hide behind their egos in order to make themselves feel better. You know, just like us. And now you might be thinking, like, Pastor, come on, I don't really do that. <laughs> really? Really? Okay, well, if you want to insist that you don't do that, then I have two words for you reality TV. (laughs) Unlike department stores, which no longer exists, reality TV is somehow still around today. And do you know why it's still around? Because we watch it. And do you know why we watch it? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We will watch the Kardashians self-destruct on a shopping trip. Or we will watch the Big Brother house devolve into a petty shouting match and we'll shake our heads and laugh and deep down inside think to ourselves, well, at least I'm not that screwed up. (laughs) But all along, aren't we just using these shows as something else to hide behind? The truth is, church, the disciples are a lot like you and me. For better and for worse, we all find different ways to hide Because deep down, we're all scared and unsure of ourselves. But church, look with me at verse 35 in that ninth chapter of Mark. This is what Jesus said to those disciples when they were putting each other down in order to puff themselves up. Jesus sat down, called the twelve and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child and put it among them and taking it into his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but the one who sent me. You see, Jesus tells the disciples that to be the greatest, they need to be the least. They need to be servants of all. And then, and then, Jesus does something really shocking. He puts a child in their midst. Now, we often think about this part of the passage in the wrong way. We think, wow, Jesus is a great teacher and he's good with kids. Can he run the youth group? But that's not the point. (laughs) Jesus never does anything to boost his own ego or fame. In reality, what Jesus did was very scandalous. In first century Palestine, children weren't allowed to be around adults. Certainly not a rabbi and his disciples. That's the part of this story that we often forget about. That's that's part of why we never see a story about Jesus as a child. Because in those days, to the gospel writers, children's stories weren't important. You weren't anything until you became an adult. And so for Jesus to bring a child into the midst of the disciples and to tell them that they need to welcome children, and in so doing, they welcome him. What Jesus is doing here is he's really saying to the disciples, Stop hiding behind your ego and instead keep an eye out for those in this world who are least. Stop focusing on yourself. Stop worrying about your own success story. If you are going to by a disciple, you need to be looking out for those who everyone else forgets. I think if Jesus were here today with us and was to use this metaphor again, he wouldn't place a child in our midst. No, Jesus would bring that coworker. You know the one I'm talking about? The one who's super negative and overshares on social media and chews with their mouth open. Or or maybe Jesus would bring the least of these, a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> or maybe Jesus would more likely bring a, a criminal, criminal, or an immigrant or a street corner beggar, or a single mom, or a homeless person, or a drug addict, and Jesus would say to us, you need to welcome this person, and in so doing, you'll welcome me. What Jesus is doing in this situation is he's calling us out on our ego. He's calling out the ways that we put other people down in order to make ourselves feel better. He's reminding us that life is not a competition. In fact, Jesus is saying that the point of life is to love and serve others. We all need to work on this, myself included. Do you want to know who has some of the biggest egos in our society? Pastors. (laughs) I remember early on in my career as a pastor going to a pastor's conference, and I wasn't even prepared for the level of ego in the room. Everyone was talking about how big their congregation was or all these programs that were going on. I would sit down to meals and without even asking, have people just launch into stories about their ministry. And since I was the young pastor in the group, I was filled with endless litanies of advice about how to do ministry. Yikes. Right, young man. And here's what would happen. Over the course of that conference, I quickly found myself wanting to fall into the same patterns. I was feeling insecure, and so I wanted to hide behind my ego. I wanted to hide behind the stories of my own successes and accomplishments. I wanted to tell those other wise pastors all the things I had accomplished. Thank you very much, and maybe you could learn a thing or two from me. But the problem is, where does this battle over greatness actually get us? If all our churches ever cared about was being better than the church down the street then we'd only be serving ourselves. Let me say that again. If all our churches ever cared about is being better than another church, then you're only serving yourself. And that's not okay. Because Jesus calls us to be servants of all. And that doesn't involve putting someone else down in order to lift ourselves up. No, no, no. Jesus and following Jesus is about lowering ourselves putting the ego to the side, moving past all the petty battles so that we can actually see the forgotten people in our midst. Jesus calls us to a life like this. He invites us to realize the ways that we are hiding so that we'll climb out of the clothing rack that we've been holed up in for so long and finally just do as we're told. My mom told me from the start, stay where I can see you. And Jesus tells us from the start, Whoever wants to be first must be last. So let's stop hiding behind our egos and our own sense of self-importance. Let's stop putting people down in order to make ourselves feel better. Let's stop worrying about whose church is biggest or whose choir is best or whose post has the most likes. And instead, let's just start worrying about those who are in need all around us. Those who need the church and Christians to be there for them. Because the good news church is this. The disciples were arguing about who was the greatest, and Jesus was standing right there. Jesus is the greatest because Jesus never tires of picking us up and welcoming us back when we're feeling lost and lonely and least. Jesus is the ultimate servant of all, and he never boasts about his accomplishment. He never hides behind his ego. Instead, Jesus just loves us as we are. From the little child to the drug addict, from the boastful pastor to the insecure first-time visitor, from the egomaniac to the self-loathing screw-up, Jesus loves us despite our imperfections, and so that means that we don't have to hide behind our ego anymore. We've been freed from that game. And so we can join Jesus and love like he does. We're free to love people who everyone else forgets about. Free to share the love that Jesus extends to us and to those who need it most. Amen.